Hello, hello, Soulful Nourishers, and welcome back to the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. This week, we're looking at procrastination and how we can work through procrastination in a gentle, kind way without giving into it. Um, And that is the tricky part. That's the balancing act. Um, When I work with clients, I'll have clients come to me and say, no, but I am being gentle and kind with myself because I'm just letting myself give in and do whatever I want to do, do whatever I feel like doing. But when it comes to procrastination, that can then go against what we're trying to achieve. So yes, self-kindness and gentleness is about ensuring that we're getting enough rest, that we're not overexerting ourselves, that we're not overwhelming ourselves and that we're not creating burnout. But equally, self-kindness is ensuring that we are doing the things that we want to do, that we're making progress in the way in which we want to make progress in life. And sometimes that means doing things that we don't want to do, that we procrastinate on for ages, and the kindest thing we can do is do them because we're doing it for future us, not present us. Um, I read a piece on Medium this week by, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, however, I apologise if not, Ayodeji Awasika, entitled The 44-Hour Theory, A Brutally Honest Look at Time Management. I'll link the piece in the show notes, and now whilst I don't necessarily agree with everything in the article, I really loved how Ayodeji breaks down a week into hours. So here's what the writer had to say. 168 hours in a week. Assume a 40-hour work week and you're left with 128. Let's assume another 10 hours for getting ready and commuting back and forth, 118. You probably spend two hours a day prepping and or eating food, 104 hours left. Another 30 minutes a day simply using the bathroom. Let's round that out and make it 100 hours. Eight hours of sleeping per night brings you down to 44 hours a week. There are a variety of activities you can pack into 44 hours, some productive, some not. So Ayodeji goes on to say, if you want to change your life, change those 44 hours, which is obviously easier said than done. But I think no matter what your circumstances are, there is always room for changes to be made when you might be procrastinating. And I'd say the number one tool for procrastination is social media. It's a complete and utter vortex for many of us. And if the only issue is it caused was procrastination. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But when you bring comparison, trolling, bullying and prolonging of mental health conditions into the mix, it really does open your eyes to the danger of social media. In fact, on Friday in my kindness letter, I touched upon the unseen body image issues created by social media. So in the kindness letter, I shared that the influence that social media has on us is constant on the way we think about our bodies and therefore the actions we take towards our bodies and behaviours that we develop. This deeply impacts how we feel about ourselves, both as people full of personality and character and also as bodies. I enjoyed listening to Laura Thomas's podcast this week, um, which is called Can I Have Another Snack? I will also link that in the show notes as well. it's, it's a really interesting exploration of appetite and identity and bodies through conversations around what we feed ourselves and our children. I highly recommend having a listen. 
In episode 17, which is one of the recent episodes, Laura interviews Dr. Scott Griffiths, a senior lecturer in the School of Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. And they delve into the world of teenage boys developing bigorexia, which can be influenced by social media platforms such as TikTok. Bigorexia is a condition similar in ways to anorexia, which is characterised by an obsession of getting bigger and more muscular. And at the moment, this primarily affects teenage boys and young men. I found it fascinating to hear what Dr Griffiths had to say regarding the research around social media in relation to eating disorders and body dysmorphia. There are connections between those who are vulnerable in eating disorders and body dysmorphia reaching that point a lot quicker. And also social media content prolonging these mental health conditions. These issues may be caused by idealised reference points being created through content which is being viewed several times a day for a prolonged amount of time. And often it's being viewed in order to procrastinate or to numb, in order just to let our mind switch off. But it doesn't really switch off. This popular influential content will be shown more often to a user who engages with it. And by that, I don't mean likes or comments on the content, but those who spend time watching or taking in the content. So someone may wish to heal their relationship with food, exercise or body image, but a video or picture promoting an unrealistic body shape or size may draw their attention. And because they've spent time looking at this rather than scrolling right past, the social media algorithms will show them more of this content, regardless of whether they have actively interacted with it or not. And due to the sheer amount of the diet culture-esque content on social media, we have an increasingly large and growing amount of people comparing themselves to what they're seeing online and ultimately feeling very negative towards their body and themselves. So through Dr Griffith's research, his team of researchers has been able to explain the connection between what people are seeing online and how they feel about themselves through a social media platform mapping of people with eating disorders. So with the individual's permission, the researchers collected the algorithm data from when individuals, a group of people with eating disorders and a group of people without eating disorders, first signed up to TikTok to the day that they collected the data. And what they found was mind-blowing. With the ability to track every video the individual was shown, as well as engagement with the content, the researchers discovered that those with eating disorders were 50% more likely to be shown an appearance-orientated video by the TikTok algorithm for each video they saw compared to someone without an eating disorder. So on average, the individuals were consuming around 2,000 videos a month. That's a lot when you think if someone is seeking support for something, for a, an eating disorder, they'll probably have one session a week, which means that between sessions they're seeing about 500 videos. And when studies were conducted on a brand new phone, so with a brand new shiny TikTok account, new phone, never having used it for anything else before, it took three minutes for an appearance-related video to be shown, and on average, 17 appearance-based videos were shown within the first 20 minutes of a brand new account being created. We don't have to actively be seeking the content out to be shown it. We don't have to be liking or commenting on this content to be shown it. We'll automatically be shown it. And where procrastination comes in here too is it these platforms have been made in such a way to make them as psychologically 
addictive, if you will, as possible. Now, I use addictive in funny quotation marks because it, it a person may not be addicted, clinically addicted to social media. However, the platforms have been created in a way where we get a nice dopamine hit, where it's showing us stuff that we are interested in, um, where maybe it's relatable. And so we get all of these good feelings in our brain and we scroll on to the next one. Maybe the next video isn't relatable. Maybe it's something that actually doesn't, isn't funny or isn't, doesn't make us happy, but intrigues us and sort of sparks that interest within us. Maybe if um, a person has body image issues, they see a, a body related video, they're going to kind of, they won't feel happy about it, but they'll look with intrigue and interest and curiosity. And that's then going to kind of release this driven feeling of wanting to make changes and, and so on. And so it keeps us within there, that cycle of keeping us within the social media platform. We keep scrolling, we keep spending our time. So what can we do about it in terms of social media? Um, and body image and eating disorders, etc. It's tricky to navigate. So you can now get apps that you, um, you can tell the apps, sorry, that you don't want to see particular content. Some have this within their settings. So you go into settings and you're able to kind of say what you want to see and what you don't want to see. Um, and you can also, as and when content shows up on your feed, click, um, this isn't relevant to me, or I don't want to see this, or this is offensive and sort through it like that. But that's never gonna completely block out the content. There are apps available such as the OneSec app um, or through the settings on your phone, which can limit the amount of time you spend on particular platforms. And I think these are really useful for procrastination. In fact, I'm gonna go on to explain that a little bit more later on in this podcast episode. However, I do have to wonder is the real solution here spending as little time on social media as possible? As someone who is currently trialing a break away from socials, such as Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok for my business, I'd be lying if I said I didn't see an impact on engagement. However, the impact wasn't quite what I expected. Through long form content, such as the kindness letter that I mentioned, if you'd like to receive that every week, um, you can sign up on the website on any page of the website or just pop an email over to me and I will sign you up. Uh, my email is peter, that's P-E-T-A at nourishingsoulfully.com. Um, through other long form content such as my Substack articles and blog posts and the Nourishing Soulfully podcast episodes, I'm receiving much longer, more thoughtful responses and having full, deeply fascinating conversations with people in this community. And also my procrastination has decreased. So would limiting your social media use also limit how much you procrastinate? It's certainly something to ponder on and something to think about. And as we delve into this next part of the podcast, we're going to be looking at the How to Stop Procrastination Workshop. So you're going to need a pen and paper for best results in working through the workshop. This was originally created in video format. So there will be times where I ask you to pause the video, which I do apologise for, just pause the podcast instead. I'll link 
everything that I've mentioned in the show notes this week as well, just in case you'd like to have a little look. Um, let's delve into the workshop because I think you're going to find this really, really useful. Welcome to Power Through Procrastination, a nourishing, soulfully workshop with me, Peter, your self-kindness coach. What would your life look like if you gave yourself the opportunity to spend far, far, far less time procrastinating? Grab a pen and paper, pause the video now a moment, and in three words, write down what your life would look like if you gave yourself the opportunity to spend far less time procrastinating. So you've got your three words. Now what I'd like you to do is write down everything you're currently procrastinating on, putting off or not doing. Pause the video now whilst you do that. So why do we procrastinate? Sometimes we are literally using every ounce of our energy to just survive. We've got too much on our plates and just about managing to do the most important things. We may be completely worn out, feel like we should just be using that time and energy, but we just don't have it. This can be down to us not resting enough or filling our own cup enough or meeting some or all of our needs enough. I procrastinate if my senses are overstimulated because I can't focus. Often it's a way of of us putting off actually doing something because we fear we'll fail. We're scared deep down if we actually do this thing, if we commit to doing it, we're going to get our hopes up and feel worse afterwards if we do fail. I mention this podcast on a lot of my workshops and in support groups. Have you ever heard of the podcast How to Fail with Elizabeth Day? It's a deep dive into failure vulnerability and ultimately that everyone has failed spectacularly in their time. Through recognising these failures, Elizabeth's guests are able to look back in hindsight and recognise their bravery, spirit for life, resilience and self-belief and confidence they have courageously grown by getting up, brushing themselves off and continuing on. Failures on the podcast include alcohol problems, failures at school, failing to pass life-altering exams such as the bar exam, failing at parenthood, failures in fixing things, failures in love, failures in careers, and the list just goes on and on. Sometimes life doesn't go to plan, but sometimes something even better can come out of taking action. What is a failure you can recall in your life? What butterfly effects did this failure have? Take a moment to pause the video now and really try to consider a failure as an example for you that you can use which had a butterfly effect in your life. How do you procrastinate? I'd like you to pause for a moment and really think about the ways in which you have procrastinated this week. For me, it's tidying or gardening and being distracted by things like TikTok videos Um, or the Facebook video vortex. But how do you procrastinate? What are your procrastination tendencies? If it's social media, name the exact platforms you use to procrastinate. It's all about asking ourselves when it comes to social media, what is my intention? 
Is it to catch up and engage? Is it to speak to loved ones? Is it to feel connected? Why do you use social media? Why do you want to use social media? In the book, We by Gillian Anderson and Jennifer Nadell, on page 43, they use a brilliant acronym for fear. False evidence appearing real. I love this, as we can so often believe the evidence we're showing and telling ourselves, which we have no idea if it will really happen, but we're telling ourselves it's true. Do you have any false evidence appearing real going on right now? What stories are you telling yourself about the things that you want to do? What are you procrastinating on due to fear? Take a moment to pause and maybe create a mind map or a brain dump of the things that maybe you are putting off doing out of fear. Because you're trying to convince yourself that you can't do it or if you do it, something bad will happen. Sometimes we procrastinate because we're out of energy. The spoon theory is used a lot when it comes to chronic illness. It's something I use to explain to friends and family why I struggle. Sometimes because I'm out of spoons. So for some of you, this may be very relatable. Some days I might start with 10 spoons. Some days I might start with less. If I start the day with less, five or six spoons, they've got to be used wisely. Each spoon represents a unit of energy. Each action you take is worth a spoon. Getting up and making something to eat in order to take medication is a spoon. Having a shower and washing hair is a spoon, sometimes two, depending on the day. Getting dressed and getting ready for work is another spoon. Driving the short journey to work is a spoon. We've used up five already. We haven't even started the work day yet. Thinking of energy in this way can be really useful. It helps us to make choices, to prioritise what is important and respect our energy levels. I know on a bad day, if I don't take things easy at work and try my best not to move around too much when I get home and go straight to bed, then I'll end up having quite a bad flare-up. Sometimes I'll get to the end of the day and I'll have a spoon left with house jobs to do, hoovering, cleaning and bathroom, cleaning the kitchen, washing up, ironing clothes, etc as well as making dinner and eating. This is when I prioritise. Looking after my basic needs comes first. So I'll let my partner know, I've only got one spoon left. What, and we'll have a bit of a discussion about what we can do. What shall I do? What can he do? Sometimes on really good days, I can borrow a spoon or two from the next day. But, and this is a huge but, it is borrowing and I will pay for it the next day. So I need to make sure that the following day, I won't have as much on, but I can rest. And it's thinking ahead and being kind to myself. Do you think you ever procrastinate due to a lack of energy? Sometimes, it's not fear or lack of energy. Sometimes we actually don't want to do the thing in the first place. Can you think of anything that you've recently procrastinated about? that you just don't want to do. Write a few things down, have a bit of a think. Now with that list of things that you just don't want to do, is there anything on that list that you can immediately get rid of? Cross off. How about delegate? Write someone's name next to it. 
Let's look at what's left. Do you have feelings of, I should do that, when you think of these things? Where does the should stem from? Why do you feel you should do them? Sometimes there are things we don't fear. We have plenty of energy to do, but we don't want to do and have to do. The best way to tackle these things is by making a list and prioritising the things you dread doing the most. The things you procrastinate doing the most at the very top. Get them over and done with. Now we've identified our procrastination reasons, fear, energy, resistance. Let's look at the tools we can use to stop procrastinating. Of course, being aware of how you procrastinate and why is already going to play a huge part in decreasing your procrastination. So how to stop? Get the worst over first. Do that thing that you don't want to do first. Take it off your list. Usually it won't take very much time at all. Get it over and done with and you're less likely to procrastinate throughout the day. Make a commitment, a public one. When we make that commitment, when we let others know what we're doing, we've got that accountability. And accountability is a brilliant thing to fight procrastination off. Create a to-do list. Prioritise with realistic time frames. So three things at a time, noting down next to each thing how long that's going to take you. Don't kid yourself, don't be a time optimist, be really realistic about how much time it will take. Give yourself a pep talk. If, you're, if you can't give yourself a pep talk and motivate you, who can? Take time to give yourself a bit of a pep talk. Get ready for what you want to do. Motivate yourself. Count down from three. So if you find that you procrastinate a lot if you've sat on the sofa or lay on the bed, give your mind a moment to get used to what you're going to do and say, right, I'm going to get up in three seconds. I'm going to count down. Three, two, one, and I'm up. I know it's something we use with children, but there's a reason we use this with children. It works really, really well. Use the app Forest. So it's a brilliant app. Um, if you find that you procrastinate a lot with your phone, when you click on the app, you let it know for how long you would like um, to not use your phone for, and it will grow a little tree in that time. If you try and click off the app, you'll kill the tree. And nobody wants to kill a tree. Remind yourself of why you need to do the thing. Why are you doing this thing? What, how, what are you going to achieve? Why is it important to you? This reminding yourself of the why can be life-changing. Sometimes it's really easy to just get caught up in the everyday of doing things. It's important that we take a moment to remember why we do the things we do. Your to-do list, what works best for you? So creating a to-do list the night before and prioritising yourself will, wake, will help you wake up the next day and do things right away. You may find actually that doesn't work so well, but having a to-do list written first thing in the morning, if you have your morning coffee or cup of tea, works really well for you. It's all about playing around with these things and finding what works best for you.
I hope you found this workshop really useful. If you have any questions at all, please pop an email over to me, peter at nourishingselfully.com. I'm more than happy to talk through anything in the workshop, anything around procrastination and your personal procrastinating tendencies. I hope you've enjoyed this workshop. As always, be gentle, be kind. You're doing the best you can, always. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Nourishing Soulfully podcast. As always, between now and the next episode, you can find more from me on the website where I have a blog at nourishingsoulfully.com, on Substack where I write weekly letters on living an intuitive life, which is nourishingsoulfully.substack.com, and if you'd like to hear from me in your inbox, sign up to the weekly Friday kindness letters. You can sign up at the bottom of any page on the Nourishing Soulfully website, which again is nourishingsoulfully.com. Until next time. Be gentle, be kind. You're doing the best you can, always. Sending lots of love your way.